Well, good morning to you all. I hope that you uh, are excited for a new year. Can, it, can we all just breathe a sigh of relief that we've made it past 2020 so far? Can, can we all just breathe together for a moment? I know that sounds weird, but honestly, I'm glad we made it. I wasn't sure some of, the, some of those Sundays. But we have, by God's kindness and his goodness, and now together we get to open up God's word and see what God is saying to us this morning and, and be changed to reflect more of who he wants his redeemed people to be. And I can think of no better place to do that than with you all and no better people to open up God's word with than you all. And so what a, what a great thing that we get to start a new year and a new series and still remember the same faithful God from every single week and every single year. Amen? Has anyone other than Austin, and I've already asked him this because he and I have talked about this, has anyone besides Austin here seen the TV series Married at First Sight? Good, everyone's behind the times like me too. It's on like its 10th season by now, so it's not a new thing. It's a show that has had 10 seasons where complete strangers are paired together by these experts and they are legally married at first sight, not seeing a picture or even knowing the names of each other ahead of time. It's supposed to be a, a modern twist on arranged marriages. And even at marriage at first sight, they, they have them go through the motions, right? So, so at this point in like season 10, they even have like a, a bachelor and bachelorette party. They have, uh, they have them go and get, the husband goes and gets a tuxedo and the, the wife goes and gets like a, like a wedding gown and, and they even go on a honeymoon afterward. It's supposed to be all the similar things that you would see at a, at the beginning of a marriage ceremony. Um, only they've just never met each other until they are at the altar. And so even at marriage and first sight, the wife gets a dress, she gets ready, the husband gets his tuxedo, uh, and, and they still go through all the important paperwork, legal work. They are still making uh, all the necessary things done uh, to s record it, to sign the documents, to have witnesses, to make declarations of promises. And this morning, we see God entering into a very important covenant relationship with Israel at Mount Sinai, very similar to a wedding ceremony, actually. And what we will see in our passage this morning is that God's people are in covenant with God, and therefore they are called to live out the covenant promises that are made. Last year at this time, we began a series through the book of Exodus, the gospel of the Old Testament. And we looked at how God was doing this extraordinary work of saving people, the people of Israel who were enslaved in Egypt. God had raised up a man named Moses to be the, the leader of Israel and to lead them out of slavery to God. And so we pick back up in the book of Exodus and we see how God has led them from captivity now here to covenant with him. And we can break uh, down the book of Exodus kind of in three different parts. There's the Exodus itself, part one, where they leave Egypt and everything leading up to that. The second part is when God makes a covenant with Israel. 
And then the third part is where God's abiding presence is, or where they build the tabernacle, which is where God dwells among his covenanted people. And so we are, uh, in those three parts, we see salvation and covenant and God's abiding presence. And if you've ever asked the question, well, what am I supposed to do now that I'm saved? Well, I think this is where we begin to see some of what it looks like for those who are in covenant with God, what it looks like for them to live in relationship with God. And so if you've ever wondered, well, I'm a Christian now, what does it look like for me to live like a Christian? We'll begin to answer what that question asks here through the rest of the book of Exodus. Let me pray for our time together. Lord, we ask that you would mold us and shape us to value the things that you value, to live how you call us to live, to live according to your word, and that by valuing your word, you would transform us to be the type of people that will reflect the glory of the king who has saved us. So God, use the book of Exodus, use chapters 19 and 20 in particular this morning, and help us to to follow what your word says. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me give you the roadmap of what we're doing because we really are going to be going through chapters 19 through 40 in the next 13 weeks, okay? So you guys can do that math. Uh, You can see how that's going to happen. So we are kind of rushing through it. We're not going through every detail. We're taking a a look at about 30,000 feet above ground looking at what God is doing through the rest of the book of Exodus. And so we're going through chapters 19 and the first half of 20 this morning. Let me give you a roadmap in case you aren't familiar. Most people are familiar with the first part of Exodus, right? Like the, the plagues and the Red Sea and the, and the dead firstborn, the Passover and the burning bush. Like we know that story, but Exodus doesn't end at that point. That's only the first half of the book. And so it's usually that we don't know nearly as much of what happens in the other part of the book of Exodus. And yet it's extremely important for us. So here's, here's the roadmap. Here's where we're going this morning. And actually to forewarn you, uh, we'll get more into this why in the next week as well. But this is actually a, a two-part sermon. This is just part one of what we're looking at this morning. So here, here's, here's the big idea that if you remember nothing else of what's going on this morning, here's what we want you to get out of it. Eagerly prepare for our homecoming to glory by living out our covenant with God in Christ. That's what we need to walk away with this morning, is that we need to eagerly prepare our homecoming to glory by living our covenant with God in Christ. And so we're going to kind of look at Exodus 19 and 20. We're going to break it down in kind of three different sections. Uh, So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, All of chapter 19, at least, two-thirds of what we're going to be looking at is inside your bulletin, and so you're able to follow along and see exactly what we're doing there. Let's look at chapter 19, verses 1 to 7, this first part that we're calling a treasured possession. And here's what Moses writes. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. 
They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Well, in Exodus part 1, God had set up a rescue plan through a, a series of plagues or really judgments against different Egyptian gods that escalated in the Passover or the 10th plague. And if you guys remember, in the 10th plague, Israel was told to sacrifice a lamb to spread its blood over the doorposts uh, and, uh, the, uh, and God would then, that night, he would pass over any door with a lamb's blood on its doorposts, but for any house that didn't have the lamb's blood covering it, he would kill the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And after that judgment against Egypt, Pharaoh demanded that Israel leave, but then he thought better of it and chased them down only to drown at the Red Sea as God's people walked across on dry ground. God had literally created a highway from Egypt to Mount Sinai where God was leading his people. And so now we see that Israel has been traveling for three months from Egypt to get to Mount Sinai where they're going to camp there and they're going to spend the next two years at the base of the mountain. In fact, all the rest of the book of Exodus, all of the book of Leviticus, and the first ten chapters of Numbers all take place at Mount Sinai. And so the book of Exodus doesn't end with Israel being freed. That's only the first part. And it's also maybe important for us to recognize this morning that God didn't save Israel and then immediately take them into the promised land where they would have to fight off the people who were there. But God rescued Israel and they found rest with God after three months of travel. And what we see when God says, you, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, you saw all that I've done, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and then he says, and brought you to myself, he says at the end of verse 4. Salvation is always something that is forward-leaning, not backwards-looking. Say God saved them uh, for them to be with God in relationship. The whole point of why God brought them out of slavery wasn't that they were the only nation in the world that were slaves, but that God was in a covenant relationship with them. And so God saved Israel to bring them to himself. You know, one critique of Baptist Christians is that we have put such an emphasis on get saved, get saved, get saved, 
that oftentimes there's an unintentional de-emphasis on, okay, I'm saved, but now what? I think we could take a poll here at Friendship Baptist Church and ask what do the next five steps for a new Christian look like? And, and I would guess that some of the answers would be similar, but they'd be inconsistent about what that would even look like. What does it look like to be God's people? Israel had some of the same questions. They had just been freed from 450 years of slavery in Egypt. It's the only thing they knew until God stepped in. But now that they were God's people, what does it look like to be the people who have been rescued by God? And as we learn by what it meant for Israel to be a saved people, uh, then we will have insight for what it looks like for us to live as God's saved people today. And I think it begins by rightly understanding salvation. In fact, we should see God's mighty hand in salvation. Salvation clearly, as we've seen in the book of Exodus, is an act of God by the power of God on to our helpless situation where we could not save ourselves. If anyone is saved, it is because God has done the great work of saving. And salvation's goal is to be with God, not just simply be freed from danger. God has created people for us to be with him for eternity in relationship with him. So the question is, Christian, beloved by God, is your goal as a Christian to be prepping for the day when you will be with God for eternity? Or is your focus on your Christian life for this life to live out how you please since salvation has already been accomplished in Christ? See, God saves us in order to create a new people. God saves us so we can be in relationship with him. The goal wasn't for Israel just to be freed from slavery. The goal was to be with God with, as his covenant people. And so salvation is always forward focused. What is God leading us to? And it leads into covenant relationships. Look at verse 5 of chapter 19 with me. God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And if we don't understand that God's goal for saving people is to bring them into a covenant relationship with others, then we aren't going to understand why the rest of the book of Exodus is important for how Israel is to even be the people of God. Even worse, many books of the Old Testament will become to our eyes irrelevant or, or just really unimportant uh, if, if being saved is the end and not just the beginning of our relationship with God. And so it will even look like God is a mean jerk for removing Israel out of the promised land if the goal was only to get away from slavery but not to be with God in a loving and trusting relationship. See, the goal wasn't simply to be freed from slavery, but to be in covenant relationship with God. 
And I'm afraid that if we have a robust knowledge on how to be saved, but not an equally robust, robust knowledge of what it looks like to be saved, then I'm afraid that we won't live out the gospel in the way that we are called to be. And much more important than what we should be doing next as a church is how do we live as God's people who reflect the values of God? How we live as God's people is more important than any particular focus we could have even for year 2021. How we live as God's people reflects what we believe about God our Savior. God's people being in covenant with God shows that God is not just a God who delivers, he's also a God who makes covenants and draws near to his people. And that's important for us as we, as we think of what it looks like to follow him. He wants to bless his people, and God's blessing comes in the covenant relationship. Notice what happens when Israel is in the covenant with God in verses 5 and 6. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, what's the result? You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Boy, that's, that's quite a promise. God's blessing of being his treasured possession in all the earth comes in the context of God's covenant with his people. And it's the purpose of God's saving. God saves to bring people into covenant relationship with himself. And so we need to eagerly, eagerly prepare our own homecoming to glory by living out our covenant with God in Christ. Let's look at the next part of chapter 19, uh, verses 8 through 25. Uh, in, I'm not going to read it. We're going to read through parts of it. And what's going on here is this is the preparation for this covenant that God is making with Israel. Israel is then immediately confronted with God's covenant intentions. How does Israel respond to the call of God to say, I want you to be in covenant relationship with me? Well, in verse 8, Israel answers together that they will do all that God has called them to do. And so God says, get ready. This is important. Covenants are important and they're special. There's something beyond just a verbal agreement. There's some work to them. Everything important in life uh, seems to take paperwork, doesn't it? You can't buy a house on a verbal agreement. Even a car takes some paperwork to transfer the title. Marriage requires marriage documents. And Israel needed to prepare for the making of the covenant with God, much like a wedding ceremony. They were to wash their clothes. They were to look their best. They were to consecrate or, or dedicate themselves for the next three days to prepare to meet with God. Another way of saying consecrate is to, is to make holy. And so what we see is that our relationship with God isn't meant to be casual, isn't meant to be, hey, I'll hang out with you when I have no one else who's responding to my text messages. It's not a, hey, when I am tired of binge watching Netflix, then I'll give a little bit of time to God. No, our relationship with God isn't meant to be casual, 
but intentional. And it's to reflect God's glory and God's greatness and God's holiness. And so our relationship with God is best understood through a covenant. A covenant with God isn't a new thing. Covenant is actually one of the most important ideas in the Bible. God has been using covenants as backbones of his relationship with his people throughout history that are building up into its full picture of Jesus. Think of God's covenant with Noah. And and we, we know those covenant signs, right? The rainbow and God's covenant with Abraham and the sign for that was circumcision. Now, if you guys are really keen and remember the book of Exodus, you might say, well, Brian, hold on a second. If you would just read Exodus chapter two, well, then you would remember that Israel's already in covenant with God. And it's true. Remember, Israel's crying out to God because of the slavery. And it says God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with their forefathers, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God acted on Israel's behalf to rescue them from slavery because he remembered his covenant with Abraham. And now God wanted the covenant to reflect responsibility on the nation of Israel as well. Now Christians today are in what's called the new covenant with God through Jesus. Uh, We we see evidence of that when we take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take it later today. And Jesus says, this cup is the covenant in my blood, right, which is poured out. And so a covenant is really just a chosen relationship where two parties make binding promises on each other. Uh, I think a covenant should be distinguished from a contract because it's a personal relationship that people voluntarily enter into. And our relationship with God is reflected in how we prioritize God in our lives and in one another. And so as you think about your relationship with God, view it in terms of a covenant that God has made with you. The entrance of the covenant is is much like God's covenant with Israel. They didn't earn it. They simply believed God and received it. God made these covenant promises. He would be their God, and they would be his people, and he would be with his people. His presence would be with them. Well, God says, has made those same covenant promises to us as well. We will be his people. He will be our God, and he will be with us. That's the language that we see in the new covenant described in in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. It's the same uh, language of the covenant that we see even in the book of Revelation when at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, when our faith becomes sight, uh, that's the same covenant language that's going on there. Our relationship with God is best understood in terms of a covenant where we didn't earn it, but we received the blessings of God. God has secured our covenant through the blood of Jesus, God's own son, and now God calls us to live out our covenant with God in our relationship with him and with others. I wonder, how would your relationship this year with God look differently 
if you saw it in the context of a covenant. Right? Just like a marriage relationship, covenant relationships have high priorities. How do your covenant priorities with God match what God's word says? In fact, what might be some ways to remember and live out your covenant with God as a priority? Well, I think one way I'd like to encourage you is to do that is to make the gathering for the worship of God a top priority for 2021. This is a time when it's easy to fall through a crack. It's easy to drift silently into the night. Instead, for 2021, make the gathering for the worship of God a top priority over what might have been an easy excuse in years past. Because our relationship with God isn't meant to be casual. Instead, it's meant to be intentional and deliberate and to reflect God's glory and God's greatness and God's holiness. Israel needed to prepare for the making of the covenant with God, much like a wedding ceremony, uh, just without the, the bachelor and bachelorette party. Look at verses 14 and 15. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And then like a father who's walking his bride down the aisle, Moses leads Israel to God. Look at verse 17 with me. He says this, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Our covenant with God is important. And we also see that God's covenant brings with it God's presence. God was on the mountain, and it was visible. It was in great smoke that, that went up and thunder that was going off. L look at verse, verse 9 with me of chapter 19. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Or look at verse 16 of chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And what's happening in verses 18 and 20? Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. We see that a covenant with God brings the presence of God. But even in seeing the presence of God, God's covenant with Israel had limits that were set for their protection. Even while they were in covenant with God, even while God's presence was there, it was limited. The only people who were able to go up onto the mountain were Moses and Aaron, the head of the priests. Notice what's written in verses 21 through 25 of chapter 19. 
And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, even with God's presence, here it was a limited presence. Israel didn't have unfettered access to God. Not just anyone was able to meet with God. He was too holy. They were too sinful. Even a great covenant like this had its limitations. And so that's why we will read about the sacrifices that needed to be made in the, in the weeks to come. They had to be made to God regularly as a result of, of a payment for sin, for God's continued presence among them. But ultimately, we should see that even in the great covenant that God made with Moses and Israel, we see its limitations, that they couldn't be with God fully. And it should lead us to our own need and desire for us to have unmitigated access to God, unfiltered access to God through Jesus. Because it's actually only in Jesus where we find an unseparated presence with God. Christ has broken down any wall of separation that we would have with God. Remember what Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, that's what's so amazing about Christ's work, actually, is that even while Israel was in relationship with God, it was limited and it was separate and they couldn't come too close because God was too holy, but Christ in his body on the cross has broken down our separation with God by taking on the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to continue to make sacrifices to God. Jesus was the one-time sacrifice and has now brought us into God's family to where we are adopted as his children into the family of God. Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf. He died on the cross for our covenant-breaking actions. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and he calls us to look to him alone for life and salvation by repenting from our sin and trusting in him alone. No matter what isolation you may feel or what level of loneliness that might be in your life right now because of all the craziness with COVID, we know that Christian 
we have an unlimited presence of God who has given us his spirit in us, who has indwelled us so that we are never actually abandoned or alone or separated from God. Christian, you have the spirit of God, so you're never isolated or alone. And so that can actually be a source of comfort and strength in the gift that God has given to you of his spirit to remind you that he is with you. There is no separation between us and God. No, God's spirit dwells in us. And so we should eagerly prepare for our own homecoming to glory by living out our covenant relationship with God in Christ. Let's look at chapter 20, the first words of this covenant. God has announced the covenant where they would become his treasured possession, and he says, get ready. This is the most important event that's going on in your all's lives. He says, get ready, and now, beginning in chapter 20, it begins. The covenant with God that was made with Israel goes all the way until Exodus chapter 24. So we're going to finish what it looks like next week. But let's look at the first words or the first 10 words of the covenant that really summarize the entire covenant of Moses. What's commonly known as the Ten Commandments. Now we should remember that the covenant that God made with Moses, the covenant didn't create the relationship. The covenant, in fact, was a guide to maintain the relationship. This covenant was not to create a relationship with God. They were already in relationship with God. God had already saved them. This covenant was to maintain that relationship. And so it's most helpful to understand the law kind of in two parts of the same unit. Okay, the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments are given first as a summary of what all the Book of the Covenant has. And so the various laws of the Book of the Covenant, uh, it's called the Book of the Covenant because of chapter 24, all the various laws of the Book of the Covenant flow from the basic principles that are laid out in the Ten Commandments. That means that when we read the Ten Commandments, we are to do so in the context of the entire covenant with Israel to God through Moses. Oftentimes, we have a negative view of the law or, or, or a negative view of authority, thinking that it must be oppressive over us. But there's nothing negative about being under God's authority here. In fact, in the Bible, to be under God's rule is to actually enjoy God's blessing. God's law was for their good, even since the Garden of Eden. It was only once they disobeyed it that they faced God's curse and were banished from his presence. If Israel is to know God's blessing, they need to be under God's rule. Only then will they be able to enjoy a relationship with him and know his abiding presence with them. And so if the rejection of God's law in the Garden of Eden brought death and a curse, then the restoration of God's law enables life and blessing. So remember, God had redeemed Israel before any law was given. 
Their obedience is not some desperate attempt to earn salvation. No, 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 no. It is a response to the salvation that God has already achieved for them. So obedience to God is not the path to membership in the covenant of God. It is required to enjoy the blessings of the covenant. And that is an important distinction to make. God promises to bless his people. We, as his people, in turn, are to obey God. Right? Religion will say, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But covenant relationship with God in the gospel says, I'm accepted by faith, therefore I follow God's word. So notice the the context around the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verses 1 to 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So these Ten Commandments are in the context of a relationship. They're in the context of salvation that's already been accomplished, a rescue, a freeing from slavery in Egypt. And so the law was given in a context of grace to a saved people for their benefit. The law is given in the context of God's presence on the mountain after being rescued and ultimately looks forward to the blessings of being under God's law by him giving them the promised land. And so the law reflects the character of God. It reflects his values. And God's law is the written expression for his will for both their life as a nation and as individuals. And so it's crucial to recognize that the law was given within the context of a covenant, not apart from it. It is a response to salvation. And the Ten Commandments cover the most basics of our human relationship with God, the the first four commandments, and then human-to-human relationships, the last six commandments. So the first four commandments begin with God. Our relationship with God has an exclusive relationship. You can can hear how, how our ceremonies for weddings are much like what we are seeing and hearing here. God's worship, God's name, and God's image matter. Worshiping God exclusively and purposefully brings the blessings of the Sabbath. It brings rest. That's why God says in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And in verse 4, you shall make for yourself a carved or you shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God and a jealous God. So does God come first in how you prioritize your time and your effort and your finances, and your devotion. God cares very much about how he is worshipped. So Christian, do your worship practices of God match what God has said? Our worship of God corporately as we gather is carefully organized by what we see practiced in the New Testament. 
We see the ordinances, baptism of the Lord's Supper, happening when the church gathers. They are commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to read God's word, to preach God's word, to, to pray to God. These things are important parts of the corporate worship of God. But we also know that Paul makes mention in Romans 12 that our whole lives, not just Sunday morning, is to be our spiritual worship to God. So how does having no other gods before the one true God, the true living God, look throughout the week for you? Do you cave to the pressures of the God of money or the God of status or the God of family? How does structuring your life in a way that the worship of God is kept over other calendar events? Living the Christian life focuses on God as a priority of our lives. But look at the second half of the Ten Commandments, uh, numbers 5 through 10. Let me, let me read those for us, beginning in, uh, in verse 12. It says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. See, living the Christian life focuses on God's influence in our life towards others also. And so each of these relationships are blessings that God has provided us with, and therefore we should trust God that he hasn't messed it up, and he calls us to trust him in each of these different contexts. We're to trust God by honoring our parents. We're to trust God by not taking vengeance through murder. And the Hebrew word here isn't just for killing, but it covers uh, causing human death through carelessness or negligence, as well as slaying someone without warrant. Our covenant with God means that we also don't long for what God has not given us, especially in an intimate relationship. Committing adultery isn't desiring someone that God has given you. How do you know if God has given you a particular individual? well, then you'd be married to them. So being in covenant with God means trusting God with what he provides materially for you so that we don't have to steal. Think of, think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And why is that? Because he leads us beside still waters and green pastures. He restores our soul. He presents a banquet for us, even in the presence of our enemies. And there's that promise at the end of Psalm 23, right? That surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of my days as I dwell in the presence of the house of the Lord forever. And so we don't steal because instead we are trusting God, our good shepherd, to provide everything that we need. So being in covenant with God, it even affects what we say. We should not lie. If we serve a God who is truth, then to lie 
says something untrue and says something false about the God that we serve. Notice how some of these commandments prevent the destruction of our neighbors, but then even the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, focuses on what we think will fill our desires. All these 10 words, all these 10 commandments show us who God is. It shows us what it looks like to live separate from the world. They are, in fact, more trustworthy than our own intuition or our own cultural codes because this is a reflection of the very heart of God. So, brothers and sisters, if the ten words of God, these ten commandments, reflect God's character, how are we doing in reflecting God's character in our lives? See, our treatment of one another reflects how we love God and how we trust God with what he's provided for us. So we should recognize that these commandments are central to the ethics of the New Testament. If we want to live out what it means to follow Jesus, it's not something separate from the ethics that Jesus teaches that come from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are still relevant to Christians today because while we cannot keep them perfectly, they lead us to our need of Jesus, to his sufficiency of his life and death and his resurrection on our behalf. The Ten Commandments show us the way that we should live, the way we should love our neighbor, the way we should love God with all of our heart and soul. Because sin is serious, and so is our covenant with God. So this week, let us spend time reflecting on whether we are all in with our heart and soul following God. Or whether we are outwardly rejecting God's ten words and how we could continue to picture God to the world. But one thing is certain. From all of this, we see an important truth that God loves his people, that he would want them to live lives separate from the rest of the world. We see that God hasn't saved them and abandoned them to go figure out life on their own, but that God is with them. He is present with them. He is giving him, or he is giving them his rule and therefore his blessing. They are joining in, in covenant, and God is both their savior and their king. And so to remind them of that, our section finishes with God flashing lightning and thunder to terrify the people in order that the people of Israel would fear God and not sin, but would keep the covenant. You know, it's interesting. God doesn't have to scare us for us to keep the covenant today because the obligation isn't on us to keep all of the covenant. In fact, actually, it, the obligation was on Jesus to keep the covenant. And because Jesus has kept those covenant promises, all who are hidden in him and have been forgiven in him find complete fulfillment in what Christ has done. God doesn't have to scare us or terrify us in order to obey him. We do so out of the response of love for Christ who has secured it for us. 
So brothers and sisters, we need to eagerly prepare for our own homecoming to glory by living out our covenant with God in Christ. God cares so much about our relationship that he says that there is precision and deliberate actions that God leads us in. He cares so much about our relationship that he isn't wanting it to be casual or whenever we get around to it, but in fact that it should be deliberate and a top priority. It was enough of a priority for God that he sent his only son out of glory, leaving the realms of the glorious heaven down here to secure our lives by his death. And so we are called to follow God seriously and joyfully, knowing that he is among us, that his presence is with us, and, they, and he will continue to be with us wherever we go. Mm, what a good word that God's presence is with us because we are in his covenant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us, that you would help us not to ignore your word, not to abandon your word, but in fact to live by your word. God, thank you for the blessing of the covenant that you made even with Moses. God, you did not give your law to every single people group in the world, but you gave them to the people who you rescued as a blessing to them to live in relationship with you. God, help us not to minimize what your word says. In fact, help us to live it out. Help us in the power of your spirit to live out all that Christ commands us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have an addiction this morning from 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day this first Sunday of 2020.